They are learning um, how to care for. They are learning to take responsibility. They are learning to, you know, their fine motor, their gross motor development is being honed because they are allowed to master these things with that they are interested in. And so again, for me to see children on fire for learning, I was like, this is, and not only on fire for learning, but it is Montessori pedagogy is an approach that actually honors the child. In fact, if you read the writing of, of Maria Montessori, there are some passages where Dr. Montessori talks about envisioning the child as if you were working with Christ himself. Can you imagine that? A pedagogy that puts the child as if you're working with the divine. Welcome home, family. You're tuning in to the Bondcast, where we elevate the voices of men of color in education and the things that matter to them. I'm your host, Damon Harris, and I'm the co-director of the Building Our Network of Diversity, or Bond Project. You can find out more about the Bond Project, including our blog, professional learning videos, and podcasts at bondeducators.org online or at bondeducators on social media. On this episode, we talk to school leader, researcher, entrepreneur, and radio host, Dr. Ayize Sebader, and his, about his views on the importance of Black history, Montessori education, and retention of Black male teachers. You can hear his views regularly on his radio show, You Must Learn, in WPFW, uh, as he talks with his guests. And today, we flip the tables on him to get an extended version of his thoughts because he's the guest. He gets to do all the talking. As usual, just pull up a chair and we'll drop you right into the middle of our conversation. So, Brother Aize, Dr. Sabater, like, what should we call you, man? Baba Aize? Dr. Dr. Sabater? Baba Sabater? You tell us, man. What are we calling you? First, I must, you know, thank uh, the creator, the most high for life, for strength, for health. Um, I definitely want to give thanks to, you know, my ancestors, our ancestors who gave uh, their blood, sweat and tears that we are here right here. And now I want to definitely give thanks to to you, uh, the bond leadership. And, you know, again, just the amazing work that you all have been doing for many a day, almost a decade now. You all yeah. have been putting it down. So that is tremendous. So, yeah, yeah. So some folk, you know, know me as Baba Aize. Some folk know me as Dr. Aize. Some folk just know me as Aize. It depends on when and where you enter. You know, I have a, a quick funny story why, you know, maybe Baba Aize is what I like. So I had a speaking engagement at uh, this Montessori um, Illinois Association, and they asked me to send them the bio and the headshot. So I sent it to them. And then somebody in their organization, I guess they felt like they didn't get it from me. And so they Googled it. And so they pulled a picture of my son, Aize and put his picture up with my name, Dr. Aize Savannah <laughs> Israel is hilarious, man. It's like the biggest joke. I'm like, wow, maybe they're like clairvoyant. Maybe they know that he's going to get his doctorate. How <laughs> that? <laughs> oh, no. So, so yeah, so, you know, I, most folk know me as Baba Aize because that distinguishes me from my son, Aize. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's already written, man. It's already written. Hey, and I'm notorious for not for not giving 
enough respect to the to the bio of bios of our guests. So I want to make sure I step back and do that for our audience too, man, because they need to know a lot of your bona fides or bona fides. I'm not sure how you say that. You know, I'm not Latin. So, you know, Aize Sabater is a dynamic entrepreneur, educational researcher, author, and 30-year educator. He earned his bachelor's at Morehouse, his master's at Wesley, his doctorate at Morgan State University in 2018. Dr. Aize has co-founded several organizations, including an independent Black school and a Montessori public charter school in D.C. Aize has often been featured as a keynote speaker and is a 2010 Educational Excellence Award recipient for MOMIEs Incorporated, presented by First Lady Michelle Obama at the White House. Aize recently co-founded the Black Montessori Educational Fund and was selected as the first Black Executive Director of AMI USA in November 2020. Now, I'm sorry, Baba Aize, welcome, family. Yes. Hey, tell us what what is M O M I E where you were hanging out with Miss Obama? Right, right, right. So what did they say? What had happened was, uh, so myself and uh, my college roommate at that point at Morehouse, you know, this brother was at that time he was like the valedictorian. So again, you know, my uh, high school history teacher even hit me to Morehouse. I never even knew. I went to school in public schools in New York City. And most folk growing up in New York either go to a CUNY or a SUNY school. So that's mm. City University of New York or State University of New York. And so I was scheduled to go to Buffalo University. I had my room assignment. I knew who my roommate was going to be. And my Italian history teacher, who I had taken a liking to history, she said, well, why don't you go check out Morehouse? where you can network with the talented 10th of your community. And I was like, uh-huh. Moorhead. And she said, Morehouse, and it's in Atlanta. I said, Moorhead in some Bama, Atlanta? You lost your mind. And so she was like, okay, okay. Well, why don't you just go visit? And, you know, just, just go visit. And I was like, stomping, huffing and puffing, like going to no Bama, Atlanta, like, why are you crazy? You know? So we, you know, my friend and I, we took the midnight train to Georgia. We, we, we went down, we checked out, um, Morehouse and the, and the, the funny thing is, you know, again, I hadn't even known anything about it. We got down there, the grass, it was like a springtime. It was over our spring break. We were like, it was either our senior year, I think, senior year, spring break. So this is my, you know, most people are applying to college in there like junior year and everything. So this right. is senior year, April. It had to be like April, right? Spring break. And, you know, springtime in Atlanta, grass is green. The birds are chirping. The bees are buzzing. And we got the spellment and the sisters were walking across the campus. We filled out our applications on the spot. The rest of the time we were there every day, we were like, yo, did y'all look at our application yet? Did y'all look at our <laughs> Yeah, man. The sisters got a brother down to Atlanta in a quickness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I had uh, a brother we interviewed last, then you know him, Desmond Williams. We interviewed him last um last season. Desmond said a similar thing about coming from Detroit to Howard. Uh, go to visit there. 
That's it. Case closed. Mm -hmm. The the argument is is settled. It's done. (laughs) So got down there and, you know, here I'm blessed to be with these super smart cats down in Morehouse, which, you know, again, for folk who know historically black colleges and universities pound for pound or punching above their weight compared to PWIs, predominantly white institutions in terms of the, the percentage of doctors, the percentage of PhDs. Uh, you know, the percentage of folk, you know, I mean, HBCUs are punching above their weight class. So you have that. But then, you know, I'm hanging around some of the smartest cats at the smart institution. And so these brothers, you know, we're thinking about how we're going to transform the world for our community. So myself and my roommate and this brother at that time, brother Emar Hutchins, you know, he was the valedictorian. So, again, here we're at the talented tent you know, what Du Bois would call it, one of these talented tent universities, Morehouse. And this cat is the valedictorian. And Mm -hmm. so I'm hanging with him and we thinking about how we're going to change the world. And we's like, okay, we need to be thinking about education. Like who's thinking about education for black children? So we need to do that. And we're going to go ahead. And, you know, this guy, Imar, he was, you know, we were undergrad. This is like in the early 90s. He's getting, you know, job offers from IBM and Microsoft and, you know, big time institutions. And he's like, forget that. We're going to go ahead. We're going to start a school. That's what we're going to do. What? You know, the other Morehouse brothers, they get in jobs going to these places, IBM, Microsoft, you know, Blues Island. You know, all right. Hey, I just got, you know, they dancing. They just got their job. Well, what you going to do after you graduate? I say, Imar, what y'all going to do? We're going to start a school. (laughs) These guys are like, man, these people are crazy. (laughs) And, you know, Imar, he was an econ major. And again, you know, he got in his last semester, somebody gave him a B. So he didn't end up being the valedictorian. He was the salutatorian. Uh, however, you know, super smart cat. So he he's not doing anything small. So we didn't just talk about doing one school. We set up a business plan that said we were going to do five exponential per year. First one school, then five schools, then 25 schools, then 100. So by the year 2000, we said we were going to have 1500 schools across the country because nobody is serving black children properly. <laughs> All right. I'm going to save the world for real. <laughs> so so that, that was the first school that we set up. And now Imar, he was actually a Montessori child and he got into education. Uh, well, because of his brilliance, I was like, well, if Montessori can help this brother to to be as brilliant as he as he was, I said, man, that's the type of thing we need to be. So the first school that we opened up there in Atlanta was actually not a Montessori school. It was Montessori inspired, I think is what Jeff Bezos, day one Academy, they talk about Montessori inspired. And so we had some Montessori inspired concepts and in our pursuit to open up the next branch of the school, the first school was in Atlanta. And again, it was a super success, at least by my standards. We opened the school first, right after we graduated in May, we opened the school in September, the same year. We started with 12 children. Um, We had a strong black history curriculum. Um, I was a history major at Morehouse and so excited about black history, really. And so we put that in the in the school. It was phenomenal. We got written up in the Atlanta Constitution, got written up maybe two or three times in the New York Times, written up in the, you know, so big. 
Next year of the school, we had over 100 children. Third year of the school, the school is still growing. But in our youthful wisdom, we said the school was failing because we weren't keeping up to our business plan. And we only had one school. But by this time, we were supposed to have five schools. That was in the second year. We were supposed to have five schools. And so we said we were going to force growth on the school. So I was the principal of the school. So they said we're going to move Aize from Atlanta to go to D.C. to open up a school in D.C. because we were failing our business plan. And so when I got to D.C., the school that we opened in Atlanta was a private um, school, independent, you know, black institution. And we had run into the problem of many individuals really being inspired by what we were doing, but they weren't able to donate things to us because it was private. And so when I got to Maryland, I said, you know what, we need to open up a uh, nonprofit so that we can receive donations and contributions and folk can write it off on their taxes. And so that's what we set up the organization M-O-M-I-E. That's that's the long answer to your question. And so that's then at that point, we said we need to be about mentoring folk. And so that one stands for mentors of minorities in education. And we think of the minority is are those individuals who have eyes that can see and ears that can hear and are bold enough to go after the visions that they see. So not even minority in terms of ethnicity, but a minority of a liberated mindset who are interested in transforming paradigms right before your eyes. So that was where we we birthed mommies was the effort to go ahead and start the school. So that's a long story short to that one question. So and what what's AMI USA? Is that like the American Montessori Institute or something like that? Tell me more. What's that about? So, uh, so so and let me back up to mommies. So mommies, we took that same history program that we were doing at the school in Atlanta. That school was called Freeform Academy. And again, I mean, one of the features in the Atlanta Journal Constitution was this child at three years old who knew more black history than his parents knew because mm-hmm. of our program. And so we had this really robust black history you know, component. And so when I moved here to DC, we started the nonprofit Mommies. We were blessed to, you know, really build a nice after school program out of school time, you know, what some folk might call it. And we also infused it with that black history program. And so again, every, you know, in fact, that's my the only book that I've written so far is a is a book called Telling Children Our Story, using black history as a fun and empowerment community building mechanism. And so that methodology, what we call either the great person series or telling children our story, where we actually lift up the life stories of luminaries past and present. So, you know, folk like, you know, we we are. Uh, looking to take the, the the pursuit or the study of black history and not just couch it within the shortest month of the year, but we're doing black history 365 every day. I'm not far from DC. They would say every day we're going into black history. And so they are studying folk like, you know, Mahatma Gandhi, Mary McLeod Bethune, Fannie Lou Hamer, um, El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X. They are studying Ansong Suu Kyi. I mean, they're so... It began as a black history piece, but then as we started to work with more children in the community 
who some folk were coming from the Latinx community, some folk coming from the Asian tradition. And so we was like, okay, well, we got to infuse some other folks. I got to lift up a Dolores Huerta. I got to lift up some, you know, Cesar Chavez. I got to lift up, you know, uh, um, An Sang Su Chi. I got to lift up, you know, a, uh, you know, so many other luminaries who are doing work around the globe so that folk can realize that we all come to the table as as change makers. And so we would study these folk around the year over a really structured way. And, you know, in the book, if folk get it, telling children our story, they can go on our website, uh, nmconsulting.org, N-M, N as in Nubian, M as in Montessori, consulting.org, and see our book there. Um, telling children our story. And it gives you a simple recipe on how to engage children. And that's what won us this White House award from First Lady Michelle Obama presenting it to us because of just how impressive we have young children. In fact, I just had a, a mom who texted me, you know, a few, you know, a few weeks ago talking about my child is now in college and she's doing some world religion class and they wanted to teach her something about Mahatma Gandhi. And she's like, I was answering all the questions because of the great person series at mommy's TLC, <laughs> you know? And so that that's what won us that white house award. I'm from First Lady Michelle Obama. And from that program, Mommy's TLC, we actually gave birth to a, a Montessori public charter school in Washington, D.C. called Shining Stars Montessori Academy. And what what the young folk would say, what had happened was uh, the folk in. So when we came, when I moved to Maryland, started the nonprofit Mommy's and then started to do work in this out of school time community because I didn't have all the ingredients to go ahead and start the full day school. It takes a good amount of uh, resources to start a full day school. And mm -hmm. so ran mommies for over a decade. In fact, it was maybe about 15 years. And the families said, well, this after school program is great. However, have you ever thought about doing a full day school? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you ain't said nothing but a word. That's what I came here a decade ago originally to do. Um, and by this time, I was blessed to have married a woman who had become a become trained in Montessori um, education on multiple levels. And so with the thought of founding, being a founding group member of this charter school came to us, we said there's no other pedagogy than Montessori. And so we opened up this Montessori public charter school. And again, man, just mind blowing experiences. And for me, I'm excited now to have been or have the opportunity to serve as the first black executive director of AMI USA is what I, I refer to it as AMI USA. That's the Association Montessori International of the United States of America and excited because Montessori education in a nutshell, I've heard some people describe it as common sense education. Montessori is common sense education because it puts the child in the driver's seat of their own educational process. It allows the child to pursue the things that the child is interested in. And so you don't got to go ahead and beat the child over the head with, you know, memorize your, you know, multiplication facts or, you know, do you know how to conjugate a verb? Do you know? I know you if it allows the child to explore the things that they are interested in then you, I mean, you have somebody on fire 
for learning. And once you get somebody on fire for learning, it's hard to put that fire out. <laughs> and here's one example. When we started our Montessori school, we had an open house where the parents would be able to come in and understand, learn what the children were doing. And so in Montessori education, you have different stations in the environment. One of the stations is called Practical Life. They also have a math station. They also have a language station. You know, so they have different stations. So in the Practical Life station, this is for children ages three to six years old. So they would do things that they call practical life things. So the child would learn how to maybe iron. The child would learn how to wash dishes. The child would, I remember when my child learned how to polished shoes. She came home and she wanted to polish every shoe in the house. I was like, baby, hold on. You can't polish the black shoe on the brown with the brown polish. No, you can't. You know, so, you know, but they just want to do the thing that they learned to do. So this child had learned how to set up the dishwashing station and she was like a dishwashing man, you know, guru. And she, so the, the mother was watching the child. The child came. She put on her apron. She took out the dish washing material. She washed the dish. She dried the dish. She put the dish up. And the mother is watching the child with amazement. Her eyes are getting bigger. And then the mom just like can't. She's like sitting there like shaking, just burst out crying, grabs the child. She's like baby, I'm so sorry because you've been coming home trying to wash the dishes and I keep snatching the dishes away from you, getting ready to slap you upside the head, you know, telling you, you can't do it, but you, 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 you can do it. You can. And, and again, Montessori is allowing children to do, and they would, they will wash the dishes with real dish, you know, with actual um, China that if you drop this, this thing could break. And so again, they are learning um, how to care for, they are learning to take responsibility. They are learning to, you know, their fine motor, their gross motor development is being honed because they are allowed to master these things with that they are interested in. And so again, for me to see children on fire for learning, I was like, this is, and not only on fire for learning, but it is Montessori pedagogy is an approach that actually honors the child. In fact, if you read the writing of, of Maria Montessori, <clears throat> there are some passages where Dr. Montessori talks about envisioning the child as if you were working with Christ himself. Can you imagine that? A pedagogy that puts the child as if you're working with the divine. Wow. And so again, it honors the child, centers the child's worthiness of, you know, even divinity. And Dr. Montessori, who was, you know, one of the first Italian women doctors in Italy, she actually, after getting her medical degree, she then they would ask her to work with children who would some folk would call, you know, disabled. In fact, during that time, they called them. Uh, well, I'm not even going to say what they called them back then. So they, they might be called, you know, disabled. She worked. And so she designed this methodology saying, no, you know, at that time, they would put the children in restraints. They would put the children in rooms just by themselves. And she's like, no, they don't need to be restrained. We just need to give them activities that they are interested in. She's, you know, stop messing around and trying to hold them down. Let's let them loose and liberate them and excite them with the things that, you know, that they enjoy. And so for me, that's what got me engaged in Montessori 
a pedagogy that I feel honors the child and not only honors the child, but is a system that was specifically designed for the children that society had thrown away. You know, Howard Thurman has written a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. Here, Dr. Maria Montessori designed a pedagogy for the disinherited children, for the children that society had thrown away but she designed an entire system. And so for me, who I'm growing up in a society that says, no, you can't, no, you aren't even a a whole person. I'm like, this pedagogy was designed specifically for me, a society that they either want to throw me away or, uh, you know, try to erase me or try to, you know, choke me away by choking out and taking our life away. He or she's designed a system that is helping to breathe the breath of life into the learning aspirations of children. And, you know, Montessori education is around the world. But here in our community, you know, in the black community and really not even just the black community in in BIPOC, black, indigenous, people of color communities, Montessori is like a best kept secret. And it's often a best kept secret. And many of our folk in our communities don't know about it because. For so long, Montessori education has been co-opted by the wealthy and the well-to-do. So many times right now, if you want to send your child to a Montessori private school, it might cost you twenty to $30,000 a year to send your primary, your three to four, five-year-old child. So some folks are paying more for a three-year-old child than they might pay for their college student. And so for many folk, you know, many BIPOC folk, that wealth factor has been a, an impediment to sending their children. So many of us don't even know about Montessori education, but now that you have this whole, the advent of the charter movement, and now you have Montessori public charter schools springing up around the country where you can send your child there for free. I'm like the game, the, the, it, it's a whole new day now. We can, we can send our children. We have no excuse. We just need to go ahead. And one of my missions is to take the best kept secret sign off the door for Montessori for for BIPOC, you know, particularly for the black community so that we can get more of our children engaged in Montessori education, which I have found to be a liberating and truly child centered, empowering educational construct. But I don't even know how I got there. You asked some question. <laughs> nah, I'm with you, man. I'm just I'm riding the wave, brother. You all right. You all right with me, man. Hey, you're listening to the Bondcast where we elevate the voices of men of color and the things that matter to them. I'm Damon Harris, your host, and I'm talking to Baba Aize Sabater, educator, author, radio host, school leader, researcher, entrepreneur, director of Emmy USA. My voice is getting tired with all these accolades this guy's doing, man. We're in the presence of greatness right now, family. Um, hey, Isaiah, and you made the case with the, the connection between the historically marginalized folks and Montessori pedagogy. Like That makes sense, BIPOC folks with that. How do you blend the Black history instruction or the cultural history instruction with the Montessori as well? Yeah, so to be honest, I haven't done that so well yet. I'm, you know, I'm still fairly new in the position. That is something that I still want to do in my past life with Mommy's TLC, where, you know, we did that for over, well, really even before Mommy's TLC at the school we set up in Atlanta at Freeform, you know, so that's like two decades worth body of work of us 
telling these stories, what we would say of unsung luminaries, right? Telling unsung stories of heroes and sheroes who are doing phenomenal things. And what we realized was, you know, now that I've gone to the big time university and got my doctorate, that what we were doing was was now coined with uh, Dr. Gloria Ladson Billings, Dr. GLB would call, you know, culturally relevant pedagogy, right? They have a whole big term on it now, right? Or some folk might even misunderstand it as the critical race theory stuff that they're doing, you know? And so we were actually teaching about luminaries who are working to change the world in a positive way and not only focusing upon folk who were passed away, but we are also looking at living luminaries. And so we would actually alternate between somebody who has passed, you know, made transition and somebody who's a living change maker. And that allowed it to be something that the children can hold on to the midnight in the midnight hour because they could say, I mean, I literally have children. So here, let me give you a quick story. So we studied about this sister who was in Baltimore her name, Robin Faye Massey. She was like one of the first black women um, violists to be a part of the Philharmonic um, Symphony. So one of the first black violists. And she then founded an organization called, and she's still alive. She founded an organization called Mom, Musicians of Mercy. So she was using her musical gift to go ahead and raise funds to support efforts that she thought was really in need of support. So she raised tens of thousands of dollars um, years ago when Haiti got hit with that earthquake, devastating earthquake. She raised tens of thousands of dollars, sent it back to Haiti. And so the children learned about her story over an extended period, two weeks. I mean, they, they knew her story inside and out. And so she was local. So we actually were sending up, you know, social media messages saying this is who we're learning about. She's doing great things. And she got wind of it. And she was like, wow, you're learning about me. That's amazing. I want to come and talk with you all. So Mm. the children got to meet one of their sheroes. The children were bouncing off the walls. They had even written a song about her. So she comes in the door and the children are singing her song. She broke down in tears, crying. Oh, my goodness. So she's crying. The children were crying. Phenomenal. All right. So that summer, we had this young student, uh, Ramvita. She must have been maybe three or four years old. Later that summer, Japan got hit with the tsunami. Four years old, Ramvita argued her parents down that they needed to do something to help the tsunami victims of Japan because Robin Faye Massey used her skills to help the people in Haiti when they got struck. Four years old, she had the family put a lemonade stand on their block and they raised money (laughs) to send to help four years old. She got it. And so again, it was that type of, you know, helping children to wrap their arms around how they can be change makers. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, don't look for the change. He said, be the change that you want to see in the world. And so we were helping children to be the change. And that's what we helped to do for two decades with, you know, Freeform Academy with Mommy's TLC. And I'm hoping to, you know, also help some of the Montessorians 
to realize that this is a pedagogy that you can use, but I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a crawl before I walk, before I run. Right. <laughs> that. That. Gotcha. And you listening to the bond cast. I'm here at Damon Harris talking with Baba Ize Sabater. Now let's get to the, the triangulation part, right? We got two points. We had Montessori, we had black history. That last point we want to make sure we touch on is the teacher core. Yeah. And so and we know we need to get more black and brown men in the in the education. Yeah. How, is there a way like did you see that in through through a Montessori lens? Like when you were with Freeform, I imagine there was a lot of y'all there. But how how is it everywhere? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I see it's really not just even in Montessori. I think we need black men in education writ large. So the thing that happened and it's really just not even to black men. I mean, really, you just need more black folk in education, period. Not even just black men. We need, you know, so when I was in grad school, the 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 easy statistic that said that you had in many urban municipalities, a majority of BIPOC children being served by people that don't look like them. So you have a majority of BIPOC children in the urban environments. And the statistic I heard was 80 to 84 percent of the teachers were white women. And again, you know, bless their hearts, the white women that are that are teaching. However, if the majority of children are BIPOC, black, indigenous people of color, then we would do well to have a significant increase in the number of BIPOC teachers also who look like the same children that are sitting in those seats who might have walked the same hallways, might have experienced some of the same experiences, might have gone through and faced the same attitudes. You know, and so, again, to have more and particularly black men, you know, here I'm at this conference, education conference, and I'm like the only black male in the room. I'm like the unicorn. And it shouldn't be that I'm the unicorn. And years ago, particularly coming out of bondage, we realized that education was about liberation. They would say education for liberation. And they realized that it was a a tool that could be used to transform our community. And so what we need, what I would suggest, what I would urge us to consider is getting back to realizing that if we want to change the conditions that our people are living in, then we got to get back to education and have particularly black men. You know, so coming out of bondage, some of the first things that our people did was they built churches. And oftentimes the next thing they did right after building the church was to start a school. In fact, the school often was even in the church. <laughs> That's why even you get many HBCUs coming out of churches. Many of these HBCUs were cut from the church's cloth. And so oftentimes you had the preachers who were the teachers or you had, you know, the, the, the Sunday school teacher who was the teacher. And then you, you fast forward to, you know, the 40s, 50s, and you actually have a significant black teaching core that when they desegregated with Brown, then you pull the rug out of many of the black teachers because now they're losing many of their jobs 
because now with integration, they're getting, uh, you know, Karen and Becky to be the teachers and they're not hiring because of, you know, racism, all of the, all the stuff, all the isms that we know, then you aren't getting so many black folk being empowered and positioned to be into education. And so long story short, when we first come out of bondage and we are liberating ourselves, we see ourselves in education. And now with so many doors opening up and folks saying, you know what, forget, I, I can I can just go ahead and make money doing something else. I'm just going to go into science. I'm just going to go into, you know, something else. And folk have turned away from education. And so we got to get back to let our people know that education is a rewarding career education. You can, you know, you can do well while doing well. You might not get rich, but you can go ahead and live comfortably and be able to make an indelible imprint upon the lives of a next generation who, who knows what the ripples, the ripple effect might be from your contribution in education. And so again, man, I'm saying we need more black men in education to transform paradigms right before our eyes. Man, how do we do it though? Like, how do we, how do we get there? Like you and I, we're both in that lane, but how do we get the other folks, the, the, the folks who aren't in the choir? Correct. You know? Correct. So one of the things that I did, particularly with the assassination of brother George Floyd was, you know, I realized, man, my people are suffering. You know, we got these folks literally suffocating us to death. And all right, Aize, how can I use some of my connections, you know, with this big time doctorate degree and connections with me, even meeting First Lady Michelle Obama and all that, you know, how can I put these this education connections and just experience together? And so to bring some healing to our community. So right after the assassination of Brother George Floyd, I helped to start this thing called the Black Montessori Education Fund, where we are looking to, you know, put a million dollars on the table to get more black folk into education and not not specifically just black men, but just get more black folk into Montessori education on multiple levels. And so one of the ways I think we can do it is by putting some money on the table, but then also putting some mentorship in place so that folk are supported even after they get access and are shown a way and a door and given some keys to open that door. Let's give you some support so we can help you walk through those doors. And so I think, again, we just got to build multiple systems and mechanisms to support folk and let them know this is a viable path that can make a huge difference. Mm. Hey, and you also have a platform with a radio show yeah. as radio host. Tell, tell us about your radio show, man, and how you got started, like how you ended up on that track. You, you're doing everything, man. <laughs> Hey, man, I'm just trying to do my little bit, man. You know, the African proverb says little by little fills the bowl. So we all just do our little bit. All right. <laughs> so, you know, I've been in education in D.C. for over two decades and folk have been seeing me grinding. I mean, I literally, you know, when we started Mommy's. I was driving the bus. I'm making the snacks. I'm picking the children up from the classroom. I'm teaching the black history. We doing it all. Like what we, we just get it done. It's just easy to get done. And so working with folk, so many different folks in the community to let them see the things that we're doing and what often would happen on, you know, I'm 
avid listener of public radio, WPFW, the station that I work with, I've been listening to and even a listener sponsor for, for, you know, decades, you know, easily. And oftentimes, like we have an election time now, you would have these politicians coming around talking about, oh, I want to be known as the education mayor, or I want to be known as the education governor. And when, you know, if I get elected, I'm going to put all the money in education. And then they get elected and they don't want to put a dime in education. And I'm like, you faking the funk. Why? And, and, you know, WPFW don't give these people airtime. They faking the funk. They not doing the do. They doing, they faking it. And so I was like, you know what? We need to just stop parading these people who are faking it, you know, doing performative things just for show. We don't need no, you know, smoke and mirrors anymore. We got enough smoke and enough mirror. We don't need any more of it. So let's get the hardcore educators who are really in the trenches doing the work to actually have an education show to let our community know about the powerful educational work that is really going on. And let's put let's put an end to the smoke and mirrors. And so I've been telling that to the folk at WPFW for years now, for years. And they finally, uh, by the grace of God, something opened up. And they're like, all right, Aiza, you keep talking a mess. All right, come on. Let me see what you're going to do. <laughs> all right. And that's all that's all you needed was a crack in that door. You kicked it wide open, brother. I'm I'm with you. That's <laughs> yes, inspirational, sir. man. Hey, and we we winding down on time, man. I just want to make sure we get everything in you want to talk about. Like we yeah. talked about that, like your passion for Montessori education oh. and sort of why, like how your roots connect to both Montessori education, well, all three, black history to black men in education, like your your life story is all of those things. Right. Um, are there other things that we want to make sure we are saying, like, well, how are we changing the folks who are not you or are there other words you want to share? Yeah, no, again, thank you so much again. You know, the, the team at Bond, you are doing phenomenal work again. I'm, I even got my badge on from when I presented at the Bond Academy uh, a few years ago. And so, you know, you all are doing big things. So you just let me know how I can be like you when I grow up one day. So that's <laughs> what's up. <laughs> Dude, I, I get tired just just reading all the stuff you do, man. I know I can't do all that stuff, brother. Yeah, no, but if folk want to check me out, they can listen to my show. It usually comes on most Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The show is called Hashtag You Must Learn. Picking up from that care, you know, BDP, KRS-One tune, you must learn. <laughs> and, you know, again, man, I think that education ought to be about liberation. Education ought to be about transformation. And I literally have seen with my own eyes where too many of our children, too many black children are in educational environments that Dr. Bettina Love, she talks about spirit killing educational systems. And I've literally been, been in public settings, public schools where the teachers are crushing the spirits of our children. And we need to go ahead and let our children's spirits thrive. huh? And so let us get more black men. Let's get more black women who can breathe a breath of life into our children, as opposed to these spirit killing systems that are sucking the life out of them. So that again, if we want better, we got to look to do better and we can't expect somebody else to do for us what we need to be doing for ourselves. Amen, brother. Amen.
Well, Dr. Baba Aize, I feel like I'm calling you like Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King, right? Like Dr. Baba Aize Sebader. We appreciate you, man, coming through the podcast and blessing us with your presence, man, and your wisdom. All right, man, we know we're going to get you back on future episodes. Thank you so much, brother. You keep up the great work, man. And again, folk want, check me out. Thursday, 6 p.m. Hashtag you must learn on WPFW online as WPFWFM.org. Um, or if you're in the DMV, it's 89.3 FM on your dial. Um, and that's hashtag you must learn. I'm on Twitter. You could even Google, you know, check it out on, on Twitter too. So Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hashtag you must learn WPFWFM.org. Thank you for coming through to join this episode of the Bondcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with author, consultant, school leader, researcher, entrepreneur, and radio host, Dr. Baba Ize Sebader, and hear his views on the importance of Black history, Montessori education, and the retention and recruitment of Black male teachers, or just BIPOC teachers in general. You can hear his views regularly every week on Thursdays on this radio show, hashtag you must learn on WPFWFM.org. It's in Washington, D.C. You can find his book, Telling Children Our Story, on nmconsulting.org. And you can find out more about the Bond Project, including our blog, professional learning videos and podcasts at bondeducators.org online or at bondeducators on social media. Be on the lookout for the next episode, which is coming really soon. We hope you get a chance to come through. As always, we'll leave a chair for you. And we say peace. Be safe. Peace.